this is going to be a edgelord live stream this is going to be me dancing right at the edge of the overton window live baby live and yeah chunk yogurt <laughs> what did he got three thousand <laughs> votes in in an election boy that's a media mogul for you <laughs> what can i tell you what can i tell you all right so i'm gonna go through a couple of topics here yeah yeah it's gonna be shocking it's gonna be appalling it's going to be enlightening and uh, I suppose, I suppose it starts, does it start with an apology? Eh, it may in fact start with an apology, but um, I just watched The Rise of Jordan Peterson. That is a documentary came out last year, and it's actually not too bad a documentary. It's not a hit piece. It's not uh, adulatory. It is not going too deep into the political mechanics behind The Rise of Jordan Peterson, and I would recommend it. I would recommend it. Jordan, of course, uh, I've had some criticisms. I'm sure if he were ever asked, he'd have some criticisms of me. Maybe he has been. I don't know. But it did, it did really remind me of a couple of things. And I wanted to share those with you because if you've been around this conversation, this philosophical conversation, this new world media conversation for a while, well, I'm guessing you're probably experiencing the same kind of things, which is that it's all starting to feel pretty freaking repetitive. And the one thing that I will say about Jordan Peterson is that, I mean, the man thought very deeply about very important issues for a long period of time, and he steeled himself to come out anti-PC, which is red flag in front of a thoughtless bull these days. And man, did he hang in there? And did he fight back? And did he push back? And was he delicate? And was he balanced? And was he nuanced? And was he assertive? And was, is he fascinating? Yeah, all of these things. And this movie, The Rise of Jordan Peterson, did sort of remind me of things that I really like about Jordan. And it does, of course, Reinvigorate, reinvigorate my wishes that he recover, that he do well, that he gets back into fighting shape. Because, man, I mean, I, I didn't get much in the way of the kind of fame that he wanted. Now, he was in a little bit more in pursuit of it, and I think he felt that he had a real cause to pursue it. And, man, did he ever take deep bites of the pie of fame. And it's something that I've always kind of recoiled against. Uh, I was uh, just saying to my family, like, if it's a choice between that and you guys, <laughs> I'm choosing you guys every single time. And you, as an audience, you've got to pace yourself. Changing the world is not a sprint, but a marathon. And the propulsion that he had into the stratosphere was truly staggering, uh, virtually unprecedented, I believe, in the history of alternative media, or maybe even mainstream media as a whole. And he is a formidable fellow. He is a formidable fellow intellectually, uh, educationally, and I just, I was reminded of, I mean, I've had a couple of conversations with the guy on my show, and I, I was reminded of just the things that I do like about him. So I wanted to talk about some of the things that came up for me about the movie. This isn't going to be a review of the movie, but just things that I just recommend, you know, go rent it and watch it. It's, it's very well done, very well put together. A little bit of uh, over music, but hey, <laughs> I want to talk as a documentary maker myself. But let's talk about, and I'll take some questions, but I'll, let's talk about some of the things that, that came up. Now, there were a couple of things that struck me in the movie. So the moment where he says, 
some guy is asking him, an interviewer is asking him, you know, basically, Dr. Peterson, can men and women work together? And Dr. Peterson says, we'll find out. We'll find out. And he talks about high heels being sexual display. And he said, I'm not saying women shouldn't do it, but let's not kid ourselves. That's what they're doing, is they're putting themselves on sexual display. So for those who don't know, high heels pushes the breasts forward, uh, arches the butt upwards in a sort of vertical sex rear entry position uh, foundation. And it's not conscious, enough, but this is what, uh, what they're for. And there is, of course, also... A an odd thing about female mating displays that you have to you look about as useless as tits on a bull to really show your sexual display. So for a woman, you have to sort of ask yourself, why on earth are women's fashions so ridiculous, uncomfortable, and impractical? Well, could it be because the gay fashion designers have mummy issues? Why, yes, it certainly could be. But also, it's like wearing white gloves and having ridiculous uh, pipe stem clothes and high tottering around in high heels. Well, all of that is an indication that you don't have to do manual labor, right? That your husband is wealthy enough that you can afford these ridiculous outfits, which, which means that you never touch dirt, never touch soap or anything like that. It's the same thing. Like if, if you have a manual labor job as a woman, you, you sweat. And so mascara is a way not just of highlighting the brightness of the eyes that brings on that stunned baby Disney Mulan look, but also it's a way of saying that um, I don't need to sweat for what it is that I do, and therefore my husband is wealthy, which therefore translates into female attractiveness. Just back to that old song, Summertime, your daddy's rich and your mama's good looking. And so impractical female attire is status signaling that she's so attractive or has such qualities of <laughs> character, let's say, that she bagged a rich man and doesn't have to work, right? So uh, it, it's like there was a movie with Diane Keaton, uh, First Wives Club, where the women were all sitting around complaining about their husbands, their first time, first round husbands. And she says, well, I, mean, I, I, I did the laundry. And the other women were like, you, you, you did? And she's like, well, I supervised, <laughs> right? That's the way it kind, of, it kind of works. You need to have your status symbols if you lack virtue. Well, what's the second-class, bullcrap, lower-grade-of-hell substitute for virtue, confidence, and self-esteem? Well, it's status. Low-brain monkey dopamine, social hierarchy-climbing status. That's what you get as a sad little consolation prize for not being virtuous. So, anyway, Jordan Peterson says, like, we don't know if men and women can work together. It's new. And then both this guy and the guy after him who was interviewing him were saying, well... But don't you, what about women who hear this and then feel that they're somehow to blame for being sexually harassed? Dun, dun, dun. What if women hear this? Now, Jordan Peterson has, has a lot of patience and probably more than, well, more than me, probably, for better and for worse. But he said, I don't care about that. Why would I care what people feel about facts? Or how people feel about facts. <gasps> Do you know what feeling about facts is? Superstition. And not the cool Stevie Wonder song, but the brain-rotting garbage that passes for an understanding of the universe in the most low-brain, lizard-enabled, primitive minds on the planet. Feeling about facts. Focusing on the feelings. Well, that's called superstition. I won't even... 
elevate it beyond that to anything else. And this idea that the world owes us infinite security is so deranged, I don't even know how to put it. Now, I grew up with a remarkably dangerous childhood in a variety of reasons, physical abuse, other kinds of abuse, and also just a risky, you know, I mean, my mom worked, I was a latchkey kid, I would just roam the neighborhood. Uh, my mom, I don't remember her other than a couple of games of chess, maybe when I was younger, I don't remember her playing with me, so it was just roaming and gloaming in the neighborhood. And you had to manage your own risk back then, back when, back before diversity destroyed neighborhoods and dual income families destroyed neighborhoods and video games destroyed neighborhood and helicoptering hyper anxious moms destroyed neighborhoods and the fact that you didn't have what the royals used to call an heir and a spare that you only had one or two children and therefore you were very very worried about all of them destroyed children's ability to go out there and assess risk just go out assess risk for yourself and learn how to work with risk. Now listen, my career as a public intellectual may have been defined by many things, but one thing it has definitely been defined by is managing risk. I take more risks than anyone else out there. I take more risks than anyone else out there. Why? Because I care about the truth, and I spent my whole damn childhood not being able to say facts to crazy people, so I'll be damned if I will spend my entire adulthood in a larger play center than I was whelped in. No, thank you very much. So, for women, this seems to be particularly endemic. Women, in general, lots of exceptions, but women in general want to be able to milk maximum sexual attractiveness with no risk whatsoever. No risk whatsoever. Let me sort of give you an analogy. So, if I leave my wallet on a park bench, and I come back two days later, quick question out there, my lovely friends, is my wallet, A, still going to be there, or B, will it be gone? Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's the killer B answer. My wallet will be gone. Now, if I sit there for the next, oh, I don't know, 50 years complaining that someone stole my wallet. I can't believe it, man. I left my wallet right on a park bench, right in Central Park, right in the middle of summer. I came back two days later and it was gone. Something is wrong with the world. And I complained about this for the next 50 years. At some point, my friends, wouldn't you sit there and say, okay, dude, you left your wallet in a park bench on Central Park in the summer for two days. What clown dumped a bucket of glitter and feces in your skull and called it a brain that you think that's somehow everyone else's fault? And I say, but no, no, by God, someone stole my wallet and they're wrong about that. It's like, yes, <laughs> yes, they are. And it's entirely predictable that this would have happened. You see, culture, law is about cure. Culture, common sense, is about a little thing we like to call prevention. Philosophy is about prevention. Now, we have kicked 
common sense, responsibility, self-ownership, completely to the curb. And we've come up with these lunatic non-systems wherein everybody strolls around blindfolded like the world is just a wonderful place and we're still in the Garden of Eden and sin hasn't been discovered and Adam and Eve have not had their tumble and fall where Adam gets cursed with work and Eve gets cursed with uh, the labor of childbirth. And in this complete bizarre princess planet, the moment anything goes wrong, it's always everybody else's fault and everybody runs to the government. Now, culture, of course, is designed to prevent just these kinds of domino cascading tsunami disasters that has everyone run to the government. Because when you get rid of culture, in other words, when you get rid of the prevention of problems, you end up with so many problems that the only way it seems fit to fix those problems is tyranny. Tyranny. That's why tyranny, those who thirst for it, destroy culture, destroy common sense, attack anyone who places any responsibility on anyone for anything bad that happens. Look, I would love to live in a world where a woman could walk around completely sexually made up to the Tartuffe Infinity Lady Marmalade pole dancing, head upside down, something that should only be seen with a gynecologist, a flashlight and a Hamlet breath mirror and have no problems. But it's not the world we live in. Let me give you another scenario. I take out, I don't know, $500 in cash. And I walk around a really rough neighborhood and I fan myself with those $500. Ooh, it's hot in here, boy. <laughs> I gotta get me some. I don't know what accent I'm doing here. I gotta just cool me down. Woo, it's hot. I could get me an iced tea, but I think I'm just gonna fan myself with these here $500. What is that, Mater? Not even, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, I just have generic accent head, right? And then it turns out I get mugged. Oh my God. I'm just throwing all this money around and I get mugged. And then, you know what I do? I spend the rest of my life, the next 50 years, hey, probably 50, not even 50, probably it would put me at 104. But I spend the rest of my life complaining about how I was just strolling around, minding my own business. And I got mugged. And it's so wrong. Oh, it is wrong. I get it. It's wrong. But how about you diminish the temptation for other people? How about that? You know, when I was a kid, that's probably still the case, you can't watch a commercial with a guy drinking a beer. Because, you see, it's really tempting. They've hidden cigarettes. In stores, you can't see them anymore. They're behind these sepulchral tiers of white blanky nothingness. You can't, because otherwise you see them. Like, you see the, 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 the alcohol drinking in the commercial and you see the cigarettes and you just can't restrain yourself. You've got to hide people from temptation. You've got to keep temptation far at bay. Visual stimuli causes people to become alcoholics and drive drunk and die of lung cancer and emphysema. So you've got to hide the beer got to hide the cigarettes, got to hide boobs, got to hide. I mean, there was this uh, city TV was um, Moses Namer ran it in Toronto. They were famous for what were called baby blues that they put on softcore pornography in the wee hours of the morning, if I remember rightly. But you see, you can't, you know, back in the day, you couldn't, um, well, you couldn't show that stuff. You see, it's really bad. It's really, really bad. 
And so society as a whole, the government as a whole, do-gooders as a whole, are constantly about keep temptation far away from people. You got to have the bars close at one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning because it's too tempting for people. So everybody understands that you should try and keep temptation away from people. I don't, I don't like the legal way of doing all of this. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, the point is given, right? We all understand that the best way to reduce temptation or to reduce addiction is to reduce temptation, right? What do they say? You get in a 12-step program, you want to quit drinking, right? What do they say? Hey, man, you can't be around alcoholics. You can't be around bars. You can't be around drinking parties. You can't be around people who smash four glasses of wine at dinner while complaining about Trump. You can't be with those people. Got to reduce your temptation. But this idea that we had a culture that reduced risk of problems, and we just threw wide all of these gates, and now... Men and women in universities can share shower stalls, can share bathrooms. They have alcohol there. There's tons of drugs. Young, unattached, away from home, probably helicopter-parented children, pumped high of drugs and alcohol, constantly exposed to the endless sexual stimulation of seeing people run around half-naked in the hallways with towels dripping off their drippy parts. Oh, my gosh. There appears to be a problem with consent on on, on, on campus. Well, of course there is. My God. (laughs) Of course there is. That's why they had the rules. That's why I had the rules. Separate dorms for men and women. Chaperones. Got to keep the door open. Got to keep one foot on the floor at all times. Or you get kicked out of school. Because we all understood that the point of culture is to prevent escalation of massive, usually legal problems through prevention. Got rid of all of that. Some place, I think it's in America, just had to get rid of transgender bathrooms. Why? An alleged sexual assault. Well, of course! These women are suing. Female prisoners are suing prisons for problems they've had with trans- transgender people coming into the prison. Huh. Well, of course. Of course. So there are all of these basic common sense things that took thousands of years to develop. Society has experimented with just about every configuration of ways of doing things. Women in charge, uh, all of this giant flesh heap of communal living that's, that's all been tried before, uh, massive subsidies, welfare state. You can look at the late Roman Empire. You can look at Spenumland, S-P-E-E, sorry, S-P-E-E-N-H-A-M-L-A-N-D, Spenumland. And these have all been tried before. All been tried before, but because we can't learn a goddamn thing from history, we're not permitted to. All we learn is lies about smallpox, blankets, and white privilege. Can't learn any facts. We have to learn everything over and over and over and over again. It's uh, Groundhog Day, except the groundhog is severely armed. And now we have this, uh, you know, the, the trans issues and so on, where they say, well, you know, it's a male brain in a female body, or a female brain in a male body. Can't be changed. Can't be talked in and out of. Okay, well, okay, then you're saying that there's a male brain and there's a female brain. (laughs) So you can have that concession. Logically, you can have that concession. Male brain and female body and vice versa. You can have that concession all you want. But then, you see, you have to eliminate complaining about sexism. 
Because you see, there are male brains and there are female brains. They're very, very different. And you can't talk them into each other's state of mind. Can't do it. Male brain, female brain, very, very different. So different that radical surgery is required to feel right in your own body. So different. So irreconcilable and so fixed. Okay. Grant you that. Can't complain about sexism. And this is all the common sense stuff. Used to be known, used to be well understood. There are differences between ethnicities. There are differences between genders. They just are. And people getting all mad and upset over facts. Crazy. People say, well, I want to be called by a particular pronoun. I get that. I really do. I get that. I understand that. I would like to not be called a Nazi for pointing out the basic fact that I was not physically attacked in Poland. Empirical fact. Went to Poland. Traveled around, big film crew, big camera crew, had a whole bunch of social meetups, toured the parliament, met with people very high up, had a wonderful time, no violence. Fact. Oh, no, but you see, I'm a Nazi for noticing the fact. Can you imagine? Some black guy constantly harassed in his home country goes to some other country, a black country, and finds that he's perfectly at ease and comfortable and not being attacked and harassed. Well, I guess that's a black Nazi now, isn't it? I mean, this is what Malcolm X experienced. Nobody calls him a Nazi. So, yeah, it'd be great. I'm, I would like my pronoun to be not a Nazi. <laughs> not a white supremacist. Not a white nationalist. <laughs> I would love for that. I, I'd love for my pronoun to be reasonable philosopher, an all-around nice guy who cares about the world and wants people to be happy with facts, reason, and evidence. But you don't see me pushing for legislation about that, now do you? Because I think you can. Not refer to me as a philosopher, and I don't want you thrown in jail. Call me crazy. <laughs> Call me a guy who's into free speech. Because this is the way things go. And you can see this going on and on with the Jordan Peterson thing. And you saw this whenever you saw him interviewed in general. Like Kathy Newman. Kind of like a spastic caricature of a working brain. And Kathy Newman, and she says, well, who are you to say this? Who are you to say this? He's like, I'm a, I'm a trained psychologist. Or when he's pointing out that women will often tear each other down and, and that they, like, this is why when you get more female influence in society, you end up with hate speech laws because men ban violence, but women ban words because women use words as their weapons. Women use words as their violence. They spread rumors. They downgrade people's reputation. They, they cause fissures. They cause problems. Women wage war through words because they're smaller and weaker, and men wage war through weapons because they're larger and stronger. And so when men are in charge of society... You ban violence. And when women gain influence in society, they try to ban speech because that's their, that's what they're afraid of, right? Most women are not afraid of being punched. Uh, they're, they're afraid of often, you know, female gossips and saboteurs from a societal and reputational standpoint. So he's pointing this out. And of course, the woman <laughs> across the table is just like, well, that's just your opinion. And he's like, no, there is extensive literature on this. It's been well studied. <laughs> especially the young people. Oh, the Dunning-Kruger effect in full force. You know, I would be very hesitant to correct Richard Dawkins on biology. I would be very hesitant to correct the late Stephen Hawkins on the nature of time and physics. Very much so. I would be very, very hesitant on correcting Gordon Ramsay on the best way to make someone pretend that they're an idiot sandwich. 
There's your gif. And I would be very hesitant to correct Jordan Peterson, Harvard professor, guy in his 50s, studied psychology for decades, recognized master in his field, but I'm just going to go up and tell him what psychology, <laughs> what psychology is all about. And this hubris, I, don't, I mean, it must come from the everyone gets a trophy. You know, a friend of mine had a kid. Kid was in a whole day's series of running races and jumping races and other kinds of races. And the kid who wasn't even there, she had a dance contest or something. Kid who wasn't even there got a participation trophy. You don't even need to show up. You don't even need to show up and lose to get a participation trophy. You just need to be on the list of people in the class. I mean, this is sad. This is sad. It's a sad situation. It's like I have a dentist, right? Good dentist. And when my dentist says to do something, <laughs> you know what I do? I say, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, she's a professional. I respect the fact that she went for a number of years to school to learn how to keep my pearly whites pearly white into my dotage. Um, it's great. And... The idea that I just have a dentist and argue with the dentist, well, it's kind of ridiculous. Don't you understand? Hey, if you don't like the dentist, go find another dentist, but don't have a dentist and keep arguing with the dentist. So what, what, what are we doing here in the world? Those of us trying to reason with the world, what the hell are we doing? You know, my daughter went through a phase, and it's a natural phase for kids, after they learn to work, but before they learn, you know, balance and risk and so on. Where we had a motto in the family, safety first, right? My daughter is a real daredevil. Maybe it's growing up with a dad close by. I don't know. But my daughter's a real daredevil. And, you know, she doesn't, she, she doesn't do side to side when she skis. It's straight down the hill, right? She's a real daredevil. I respect that. It's great. But we always had a motto, safety first, right? Because there's a time when people don't process, they do not understand risk. They do not understand consequences, it's like there was this guy in my building when I was growing up in, in Toronto. Um, he, liked to pay ch he liked to play chicken with trains. And then he lost his legs. This is why teenagers are famously not often long for this world, because they lack consequences, right? Lack a sense of risk and proportion. And it's like we have that in the world as a whole now. And people have no sense of risk. And they just wander around blindfolded as if this bubble that perhaps they grew up in with their helicopter moms and the infinite safety and security of video games. Video games give you such a distorted sense of risk. Hey, I'll just reload my saved game. <laughs> Things that don't happen when a train takes your legs off. F9, F9, F9. <laughs> Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. It gives you such an artificial sense of risk. I play Rocket League with my daughter and I'm trying to hit a ball that's flying high. I will jump in the room like that's going to help, right? It's not, doesn't, not watching me. doesn't matter. We lose all sense of this. When I was a kid, um, we used to play this game. We had skateboards. And this is before skateboards became kind of like this weird flips and tricks and dicks and stuff like that. And, and we would go down this circular path um, that led from the upper... I, I lived on this... Um, Kind of, it was a council estate kind of thing, and it, there were upper flats or apartment buildings that were lower on ones in the back where the real dregs of society hung out and never seemed to work and squinted at the sun in their wife beaters. 
and we would go down these these this curved hill with these big bars and a big drop on the other side, and we would get a, a, a mouthful of sticks, right? And and uh, we would go down, and you would what you would try and do is you try and drop the sticks in front of the other kid, because if you're if the stick was just right, when your skateboard would hit that stick, you'd stop and you'd get thrown off. Now we didn't have any helmets, we didn't have any there was no knee pads, no elbows, nothing like that, right? And I remember, oh, it's funny now because it's not now, but I remember um, after having lost a couple of times, there's nothing sweeter than winning after you've lost a couple of times. I was going down this hill and this kid I really wanted to get, I got him good and he went tumbling. Like I, I dropped the stick just right. He ran into it. His, his uh, skateboard stopped. He went tumbling off the skateboard and I turned around. I was like, yeah, I turned back and my, I had my knees up. Uh, and, and my shins went straight into the metal bars, which was better than going over the edge of what was not exactly a cliff, but a pretty, you know, half a story drop or whatever. And it was like, oh, there's my lesson. <laughs> Don't celebrate too soon. And this is long before you'd end up in a fail army video for that kind of stuff. Don't celebrate too soon, because that was a very pounded in kind of risk assessment. And you just learned how to manage your risk. And now... Doesn't happen. You know, if you want to see something, there's a funny thing. There's a video game produced, I don't know, six or seven or eight years ago called Skate Three. I think it was something like that. It's famously glitchy, and you can see all of this ridiculous, funny stuff with um, skateboarders flying through things and pipes and flying through the air and things exploding and multiplying. And you know, the physics are really, really bad. And it doesn't give you any sense of of risk management. There's frustration, right? And there's reload, but there's no sense of actual risk management. And so in a way, I think a lot of people, they're staying home all the time uh, or they're in very managed environments. You know, wh when I was a kid, uh, we, we made up our own games and we made up our own rules sometimes and we didn't have, there was nobody there with a whistle and a zebra shirt to tell us what was what. We just had to sort it all out for ourselves. And there were the good actors and the good kids and the kids who were fun to play with. There were the bad actors. There were the bullies. There were the cheats. Then you just had to manage all of that stuff. Then when there's no adult involvement when it came to this kind of stuff. We just organize things ourselves. Now, of course, everything's managed. Everything's controlled. You drive everywhere. It's all rules and and you don't like we had to sort of figure out who hit who in in war games and now you've got laser tags that light you up like a christmas tree if the laser hits the right spot and there's no need for sorting out or anything like that so there's a kind of toddlerhood in the world today and this is what's so repetitive and this is what i kind of got from the jordan peterson movie this kind of repetition where you're constantly saying to people you don't know you're not correct. Your feelings don't matter when it comes to facts. And when I say actions can have negative consequences, I'm trying to prevent those negative consequences, not blame people for those negative consequences. So when I say to someone, don't leave your wallet on a park bench, don't walk around a neighbor, any neighborhood, but particularly a bad neighborhood waving $500 worth of bills in your face, don't do it. That's, that's a dumb thing to do. That's going to get you in trouble. You're going to lose in that situation. Is it because I want to blame people who've been... No, it's because I want to prevent problems. Because if we can't prevent problems, there are so many problems, we end up with a dictatorship. You understand? If we can't keep families together, we end up with so many social problems that we're tempted to end up with 
complete crap like universal basic income because people haven't been taught basic life skills about how to get by. It's not that tough to get by in America, other places. It's not that tough to get into the middle class. Pretty easy. Because three things, three things you got to do. Finish high school, get and keep a job for a year, and don't get married or have kids, or certainly don't have kids until you're in a stable relationship and at least 21 years of age. If you do those three things, finish high school, get and keep a job for a year, don't have kids till you're 21 and in a stable relationship, marriage. If you do those three things, only 2% of people who do those three things remain very poor. Most of them end up in the middle class. It's all you got to do. It's not brain surgery. It's not climbing Mount Everest. It's not trying to fit into one of Lady Gaga's metal plate butt-grabbing dancers' outfits. It's just do those three things. It's not that complicated. But we've made society so dumbed down when it comes to risk that now when you try to prevent things, if I say or if somebody says, hey, you should eat well because if you don't eat well, and you, don't, you should eat well and exercise because if you eat badly and don't exercise, you're probably going to get fat, right? And people say, oh, are you blaming people for being fat? It's like, I don't know, but I sure as hell would like not to add to that number <laughs> of people being fat. God. It's like when I talk about, oh, you probably heard a couple of I am the walrus, I am the Eggman discussions on Twitter. At Stefan Molyneux, talk a little bit about... Uh, Having babies. Funnily enough, everybody who's alive is alive because their mother chose to have a child. Father chose to impregnate them. Why should you bully me and tell me what to do with my body? You should never tweet this. Oh, so now you're telling me what to do with my body, namely my fingertips. But when I talk about this, sure, I get it. There are some women over 40 who didn't have children. They got seduced by the socialist lie, the high IQ decapitation of overpopulation and selfishness and career. And then it turns out that being jammed in a fluorescent corner, pressed up against a window you can't open, endlessly answering a phone in the customer complaints department of a failing retail store wasn't quite as good as having three wonderful babies who will give you faith, comfort, security, and connection into your old age. Turns out you're going to have to pay some guy from Somalia to wipe your butt when you're 70. He just might not care about you that much. You know, maybe not quite as much as your own flesh and blood. So when I talk about this kind of stuff, yeah, I get it. There are women out there who fell for this lie, didn't have children, and it's painful. I get it. It's really painful. It's really painful. What's the alternative? See, if you're out there, let's say you're a woman or a guy, could be a guy, right? You should have kids if you're a guy too. Looking at you, PJW. But if you are a woman out there and you missed the boat, didn't have kids, won't have kids now, and now you get that weird flip where a a woman who's 35 can date a guy who's 30, but a woman who's 45 can only get date a guy who's 60 and up, right? Because there's just this flip, right? Because the young guys who want babies don't want the 45-year-old woman. I've I've been there, right? I mean, I dated an older woman once, and that was first and foremost on my mind. Why? Because I'm not an idiot. So if you're a woman and you missed the boat, then what you should want, of course, is... For other women to not miss the boat. Right? I remember this when I was a kid. There were these guys, well, they was mocked in the movie Clerks, right? There were these guys who'd come around to schools and show you pictures of diseased lungs or they'd, you know, they'd smoke or they'd, they'd breathe through a, you know, the tracheotomy hole in their throat and the kids don't smoke, right? 
that's honorable. Hey, I was stupid for smoking. Don't do it, kids. Like even the Marlboro man died of lung cancer, I think it was. Certainly smoking-related ailments. So if you missed the boat, if you fell for the propaganda and you gave up on having a family, then it's completely selfish of you to say, well, I don't want anyone to encourage younger people to have families because that makes me feel bad. It's like being a, dying of smoking and saying, well, I don't want anyone to tell kids not to smoke because that makes me feel bad. God. So a lot of public intellectuals, and listen, I exclude all of you wonderful people from this equation. I really do. I exclude all of you thousands of people listening to this on a variety of platforms, the hundreds of thousands or millions who are going to listen to this down the road. No pressure. Get it right. <laughs> Edgelord. Live stream. Because, you know, nets are for sissies. I can't talk about managing risk and then not do all of this edgy topics as a, as a record and edit. But in general, and I'm sure you've had this too. You listen to this, you're a smart person, you've got great ideas, and you probably want to communicate them to the world. I'm sure you do, right? It's goddamn daycare out there. It's... It's worse than a daycare, because at least in daycare, the children know that they're children. Let me give you another example. <laughs> oh, yeah? Overton window? I'm going to mime my way out of that one. <laughs> Let me give you another example. There was an entire movie with, all right, all right, Matthew McConaughey, who was portrayed, I think it was called Failure to Launch or something like that. See, it's about guys who just... Don't grow up, you see. They just, they don't, they just don't want to uh, assume adult responsibilities, you see. They just want to stay in this perpetual childhood of Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn wedding crashes degeneracy, right? Yeah. Because it's all you hear is about these men who just, just won't grow up. Just won't grow up, you see. I think I look younger without the beard. Anyway, the beard had to go because coronavirus is here. Anyway, so... All right. Let's say that's true. I don't think it's necessarily true, but let's say that's true. You know what we don't hear about? See, here's the way that female attractiveness is supposed to work. So, and I wrote about this many years ago in a novel. So this is like 25 years ago in a novel. So peak female attractiveness is supposed to be for about two or three years. You understand, right? Two or three years. From about 18 to about 21. Most... Certainly in the West, most, although there were, it was legally, theoretically possible to marry younger, but most women in all classes married from about the age of 18 to 21. So there was this race to get the right guy, and then this is why your peak beauty was aged 18 to 21. And usually it was shorter, because the most attractive women would be snapped up the quickest. So your peak attractiveness for most women who were attractive, who could milk that attractiveness, was maybe... Three, six, nine months, max about a year. Max about a year. <laughs> now then what happened? Well, now you're in a monogamous pair-bonded relationship before the eyes of God you dare not stray till death do you part for better and for worse in sickness and in health. That's the deal. So her attractiveness, while it might be status for her husband, is no longer there to mine other men's resources, because she's already attached herself in a mutually beneficial way to her husband. And then 
because there's no birth control. And it's called a honeymoon because you start off sweet and you end up with the depression of getting too much of what you want after you've not had any sex. And then you go away for a week and bang yourself four or five times a day or bang each other four or five times a day. You get the kind of depression of like, okay, well, I've sated that appetite for now. Uh, now what? And so the woman would be pregnant. So she gets the glow of pregnancy and then she starts to show. And then... Well, it's like crap in a watermelon, as a friend of mine once said. Uh, it is, uh, it's rough, you know, it, it's rough. I mean, the, the, the vagina can tear. Uh, there can be lots of, lots of big issues that are going on. Oh, and by the by, you know, on, on Twitter, people were talking about, you can look this stuff up. I'm certainly no doctor. It's not medical advice or anything. But, you know, people were saying, well, you know, there's significant risks in childbirth. It's like, yeah, there's some risks in childbirth. But, you know, not having children... It gives you significantly increased risks of some pretty bad stuff. Just look at what not having children and not breastfeeding does to your risk of breast cancer. You know, there's no security. Oh, it's dangerous to have children. Yeah, you know what? It's dangerous to not have children. Oh, it's dangerous to exercise. I could pull something. Yeah, and it's dangerous to not exercise. Oh, it's dangerous to go out. Yeah, but it's dangerous to stay in because you just sit around and so you, your, your arteries get clogged. I mean, there's no security, no safety. This, this paradise is... Uh, I mean, the only place that exists is in the grave. So it's a death wish. To, to wish for security is to wish to, to die. So for women, this sexual attractiveness phase lasts a couple of months to maximum a couple of years. And the couple of years are the dregs leftovers like the gap-teeth women who can eat a ham sandwich sideways through a Venetian blind. Those women get picked up at the end, but their attractiveness wasn't much to begin with. The old Winston Smith, she's a meter across the hips. Easily, yes, that's her style of beauty. That those women, yeah, they were picked up kind of late in the game. But for the most attractive women, the hot girls, a couple of months, boom, that's it, right? That's it. And then you have babies. And then you're breastfeeding. And then you have another baby. And then your figure is shot. And then your boobs droop. And <laughs> Right? I mean, the leech, the babies, the leech, they're all vampires. They leech the... Elastic collagen out of your cheeks. You can tell a mom with a lot of kids because her lips are about as thin as a supermodel's thigh-gapped legs. So we talk about, oh, you see men just not growing up and there's eternal adolescence and bachelorhood and so on. But the reality is it's women who aren't growing up. And if women aren't growing up, why on earth would men bother? Men's ambitions is the shadow cast by female commitment. If a woman won't commit, a man won't work. Because men, you know, we can live on very little. A man can live on 10% of his income if he doesn't have a wife and kids. And sometimes if you're a married man with a wife and kids, it feels like a bunch of jackdaws going through your wallet looking for the last vestiges of anything shiny you might have collected in your 20s. It's fine. It's the nature of the beast. But if women won't commit to men, men won't commit to work. Why would we bother? A lot of fun. And, and men can, in general, survive childlessness and a lack of companionship better than women. Maybe it's the uh, slightly higher IQ. Maybe it's the um, abstract reasoning. Maybe it's, I don't know. I don't know. Some men, not all. But now you see, and this is why when Cher came out for Joe Biden last night, I wrote to her because she posted this picture where she looks like she's 30. I mean, holy airbrushed Botox Terminator face mask of L'Oreal Doom. God! And I wrote, you're 73, you vain cyborg. 
I mean, how much work has she had done? <laughs> I mean, she's got an entire New York City block construction crew holding up those cheekbones like <laughs> some ogre at the end of a fantasy movie when the entire dungeon is collapsing, just now appearing as a central tunnel support on the new Victoria line. Holding up those cheekbones. Puffing out. Ma, you want to see something horrendous? Look at the cheek implants that Kim Novak got. Looks like Shrek is trying to take a dump using her nose. It's tragic and it's horrible because, of course, the women who rely on their beauty, come on, I'm aged gracefully, for heaven's sakes. You simply see me out here getting hair transplants and no plastic surgery on this speckled egg. Come on. Oh, of course, I'm 50, I'm going to be 54 this year. 54. I started this stuff when I was in my 30s. <laughs> well, it's all right. I've lost a little weight since then and <sighs> gained a little wisdom and a couple of crow's feet of laugh lines due to the delights of this kind of show. But you see, now women are trying to milk that hot beauty thing into their 40s. Dudes. I mean, dudesses. <laughs> Dude looks like a lady. I mean, come on. Into your 40s? That, that crap is supposed to last you a couple months. That's it. Supposed to bag a husband with those rose cheeks and full lips and full hair and startled eyes. <laughs> a baby sat on a candle. That's perfect. It's not supposed to drag out like this. <laughs> You're supposed to use your looks to get a great guy, commit, make some babies, and... You know, you know how you get to the moon, ladies? <laughs> Funny story. You know how to get to the moon. The way you get to the moon, you see, what you do is you have this big giant rocket. It's got a whole series of stages, right? Because, you know, getting started is really getting out of the Earth's grip, 9.8 meters per second per second down. Like, that's a hell of a thing, right? I mean, that's like pushing out a sideways cucumber crap after an Indian meal, man. That's hard work. So you got to flame like crazy and burn like crazy just to get this some bitch off the ground, right? But then you know what happens? The stages, they fall away. They fall away. And then another stage lights up, and then that falls away. And life is supposed to be incandescent discarding. Incandescent discarding. And so your beauty is supposed to be this big bright light that gets you into the orbit of marriage. Or to the moon of matrimony. And now all the people who think the moon landings are folks. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at you, Owen. <laughs> they can all come and crap in my mentions. Anyway, it's supposed to be a stage that you burn and release. Not something you hang on to. Because you know what happens if you don't release that stage? You go up. And because you're not dumping the stage, you can't escape the gravity of vanity. See how this all coming together? The black hole of vanity. You can't escape. You can't get into orbit. You can't. Get out to the stars. You can't get beyond the Van Allen belt. And you fall back down. And you crash. You're like one of those cheap-ass Russian rockets that goes upwards, does a wee fireworks spin candle sideways, and then plows down into the ground, taking out probably 12 monkeys at a time. It's ridiculous. You see a woman who's milking the hotness into her 30s? That is a dangerous, dangerous situation. To get involved in. And for God's sakes, I can't see this often enough. Do not stick your dick in crazy. Do not bang crazy 
Women for women do not bang crazy men. Because you're going to bond. There's this oxytocin bonding thing that's going to happen. You're not going to be able to fight it, really. You know, um, <laughs> when you have sex with someone, you're putting yourself in the trunk of their car and hoping they drive well. Well, if they're drunk or stoned or blind or disoriented or suicidal, like Christopher Walken in that Woody Allen movie, yeah, you're not going to have much fun. And it might be very short fun. You might end up with a total bunny boiler. And one of the warning signs is a woman who's milking physical attractiveness in her 30s. It means that she is living a life of perpetual adolescence. Because this is what women want, too. Women want this deal. They go out there in public, dressed to the nines, maximum fertility markers, maximum sexual attractiveness markers. They're relying on male sexuality, which comes from the desire to have children, the desire to have a family, the desire to have a monogamous relationship. And the women go out into society dressed to the nines. And then they say, well, I'm upset because not just the right kind of men are giving me just the right kind of attention just in the way that I want. Which is kind of like using depth charges to go fishing and complaining that you're not getting the rare species you want. What's with all these junk fish floating to the surface? I'm using a depth charge. For women to pump sexual attractiveness status is for, like, men to hyper-pump financial status. Like a man who has to go around buying his friends everything. Kind of a douche, right? Insecure. Vain. Narcissistic. Exploitive. And empty inside. So if you want to understand women who are flashing boobs for days when they're on the downside of the fertility hill... Ooh, I mean, that literally is like a guy saying, I will pay you to be my friend. He will give you his excess resources in return for your friendship. Well, you can't give friendship that's bought, and you can't give love based on sexual cues. The world is unsafe. The world is unsafe. So the theory is, of course, in Europe, well, you know, we're going to bring in Millions and millions of people from the third world, largely Muslims. And don't worry, they'll be very, very happy to pay exorbitant taxes to support the boomers in their, in their retirement. I don't think you all understand how Islam works. See, the way Islam works, it's the non-Muslims who get taxed. You see, not the Muslims who get taxed for the non-Muslims. That's just not the way it works. The Muslims have been in India for, what, a thousand years? Have they integrated? <laughs> and India has, you know, pretty decent religious liberty because of the multiplicity of religions. Tens of millions of people of Indians killed for Islam to conquer India. They haven't really quite got around to integrating just yet. So, well, you know, it's risky. We don't seem to have enough taxpayers. Let's going to import people. That's going to solve all our risk problems. No, it's not. The desire to flee risk almost always ends up with you being subject to risks you don't want and can't manage. Better to deal with the troubles we have than to fly to others, usually far worse. Security is death. And the world that has been constructed by our forefathers that has removed from us most of the risks of the natural world, starvation, predators, disease, war, has made us as soft as a soft-boiled egg, open to the 
pecking beak of a peregrine falcon. As the old saying goes, hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make bad times. Maybe we can change it. That's up to you. I'm telling you, I'm all in. Maybe that's possible to change it. But I'll tell you this. It ain't going to be up to me. The only person it's going to be up to whether we can stop this stupid, grim, ridiculous cycle of history. We're talking about the facts. And blowing right past people's thirst for the narcoleptic emptiness of security. If you speak up, if you speak out, you're the only one who can save the world that you live in. Don't rely on me. Don't rely on Jordan Peterson. Don't rely on anyone except yourself. Because if it does go to hell in a handbasket, you will look back and kick yourself for not acting. It may be the last thought you ever have. All right, let's get some questions in. Thank you very much. It's been a while since I've had a good old rant. Oh, that's good. All right. Let's see how many people are going to complain about Nick Fuentes, how many people are going to tell me we didn't go to the moon, and how many other boring repetitions are we going to get? Oh, I'm sure not from this crowd. Absolutely not. Inconceivable. All right. Is MGTOW voluntary celibacy? Uh, MGTOW is when, you know, if I'm a blind guy, I don't want to play football because I'm not going to be able to see what's coming. I won't be able to play the game. MGTOW, men going their own way, particularly monk mode, arises from a fundamental inability to discern good women from bad women. There are good women out there. There are good women out there. But if you can't tell the good women from the bad women, if you can't tell the wolves from the puppies, you don't want to play with the canines at all. Which is why I continue to talk about ways to find good women in this world. So, we just need a couple more generations of used-up carousel rider, childless, bitter wine aunts. Yeah, except we don't have a couple of generations. We don't have a couple of generations. All right. Let's see. Any questions? I have a... <laughs> Why do you support Trump? Why do you support Trump? Um, well, I... He's anti-communist. He's an anti-communist. What are you talking about? Why do you support Trump? His mentor was a fervent anti-communist. His wife comes from a formerly communist country. Donald Trump Jr. used to spend his summers in, what, Slovenia, wherever it was, and saw and heard tell of just how horrifying communism was. Hillary Clinton said she was going to wage war against Russia if she suspected them of cyber terrorism. You know what that meant? She was going to wage war on Russia. What was your choice in 2016 if you were American? Hillary Clinton? The hag-bag lady of destroyed countries from globe to globe, responsible for more deaths in the modern world than... Boy, I could put a whole bunch of things in there, but I'll let you finish that sentence yourself. Wife of credibly accused of rape multiple times... Bill Clinton, the crypt keeper, creepy old guy you wouldn't want to leave your dog with to babysit. Or Trump, yeah, he's got his faults. 
guy who worked in the free market, guy who hates socialism and communism. I mean, I don't even know why. At this point, I have no idea why you would ask that question. I, I don't know. Where, hey, welcome to the channel. I guess you're new here. How does a normal person buy a home in Toronto? Well, you, the only way to buy a home in Toronto is to push back against mass immigration. I did a debate. You can find it at fdrurl.com forward slash feb debate, F-E-B debate, fdrurl.com forward slash feb debate. I did a pretty ferocious debate. Uh, started off against one guy, um, Matt McManus. McManus, Mac McManus, 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 probably is McManus, M-C-M-A-N-U-S. And ended up between me and the, uh, me against the moderator and Matt McManus. And in it, he was talking about all of the wonderful economic benefits of immigration. And, uh, I mean, turns out mostly nonsense. I rebutted it quite a bit strongly and I'll put links to this show for more rebuttals of it. But see, what happens is the government borrows and prints a lot of money to deal with the cost of immigration, and that translates into magically increased GDP. You know, like the way if you just run up your credit card debt, it's exactly the same as having a job. <laughs> and another way, of course, that happens, I just saw this thing in Toronto, like it was a complete teardown rat heap that would go for like $20,000 in Timmins, or they'd probably pay you four bucks to take it in Detroit. It went for close to a million dollars in Canada. This was like a two-bedroom bungalow teardown that the maid of Downton Abbey wouldn't put their damn dog in. So get out of Toronto, man. You've got to get out of Toronto. You know what's going to happen. Are you crazy? In Toronto, of all places? Okay, first of all, epicenter for disease spread. Secondly, you know the Canadian government's going to run out of money, right? Toronto being the multicultural paradise where nobody's on welfare, I'm sure we'll be totally fine when the government runs out of money. You've got to think ahead, my friends. You've got to think ahead. You want to be in Toronto? Where disease may be running rampant? You want to be in Toronto? When the government can't send out the checks? Or the checks become so monetized that the, you can buy virtually nothing with them? Better you than me, my friends. It'll make uh, post-Stanley Cup Vancouver celebrations look like uh, a nap in a park. All right. You're losing your mind. <laughs> All right. F that. Montreal is worse. <laughs> well, Montreal, you get that. Bone-chilling Cold as a witch's tit, frozen face. That's insane, insane there. When I, when I lived in Montreal, I lived in Montreal for almost, well, four years, really. In, in the winter, it's not the summer, so I come back to make money. I can speak French well enough to work in Montreal. But in two years, almost two years at the National Theatre School, acting and playwriting, two years at McGill, undergraduate in history. And yeah, it's really cold. <laughs> I never got to see, or I rarely got to see Montreal in its glory, which is very nice in the summer. But man, it's cold in the winter. And uh Let's see here. How can young men go about deprogramming porn brain? Oh, um, I did a show with a guy, uh, Porn Addiction. I can't remember his name right now, but uh, if you look for porn on my channel, <laughs> well, let's say you're not a subscriber. You'll just see that guy's uh, interview. So um, um, I guess I just don't. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it. Like, how do, you, how do you stop drinking? Just don't, right? And, you know, just try and realize how you know, tough it is in your pair bonding, how tough it is in your normal sexual performance, I would assume the pornography consumption is, so. 
Well, let's see here. I've been red pill for years. I often talk about men's rights and the disparity of the family court system. However, going too far the other way and generalizing women helps no one. Well, it helps all the bad people that want to destroy society, so. Do you want an island that is whites only? <laughs> no, I don't care. I mean, I, people have private property, can do whatever they want, uh, as long as it doesn't violate the non-aggression principle. I have four sisters and none of us have kids. Oh, Heidi. Oh. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Man. How old are, are, are y'all? None of us. None of you. Four sisters. So five of you. Five women. Not one of you have kids. God. That, that's just, I don't even know what to say. That's so sad. That's, that's so heartbreaking. It really is. Because here's the thing, right? So people who say, well, I have a wonderful, fulfilled life without having children. It's like, okay, so you're like some kid who inherited $10 million and blew it all on crap and garbage and trips and nothing, right? Like Citizen Kane trying to make your wife a great singer style. Just crap, right? So if you have, because this is what people say, well, I don't have kids and I'm perfectly happy. It's like, okay, so someone had you and gave you the joy of happiness by being alive because they chose to have children. And so not paying that forward after 4 billion years of evolution, 13 or 14 billion years of the universe existing, all culminating in you. But what? You want to take two weeks and go to Europe? Well, that ain't happening that much anymore. Not if you have any sense of security, reasonable prevention of problems. That's really sad. Now, of course, other people can say, well, but I'm too miserable to have children. It's like, okay, so you had a bad childhood and you're letting your abusive parents win by stripping you of your progeny. If you had a bad childhood, I'm really, really sorry. I'm just terrible. I, I get it. I understand. You can call me. We'll, we'll talk about it. I got a call with a guy fairly shortly. And if you have a great life, you owe it to kids to pay it forward. If you had a bad life, don't let your abusive parents rot rob you of all of that can we learn how to stop fighting the left sorry i just scrolled here um i'm sorry about this um missed it um stop fighting the left no there's no there's not a peaceful way out of it um fortunately so okay uh what do you feel about abusive women why would you care about my feelings abuse is is wrong Particular now, there's there's two. I mean, there's two kinds of abusive women, right? There are women that you date, in which case it's bad that they're abusing you, but you got to take ownership and get the hell out and not be in that relationship if you can't fix it. And then there's abusive moms where you weren't there by choice, and the moral burden is almost exclusively upon them. Certainly, it was all upon them as a child. As an adult, you have more choice. Ah, uh, that's a damn egg farm full of eggs wasted. That's oh, very very sad. Can you expand on the idea you can force others to follow the non-aggression principle? Um, I, uh, I don't know what you mean. The non-aggression principle. I've got entire essays. You can look on my freedomain.com. I've, I've resurrected the blog, by the way. Uh, the blog is back. The community is back. We used to have a, um, 
message board years ago, and the community server is not the the uh, we're on Discord now, where you've got we've got a whole bunch of chat rooms. Uh, I do voice chats with people from time to time, where we just chat about ideas and arguments, and and help me with debate prep, and I sort of run show ideas past people. It's a real community now, which we haven't never had before. We've never had the voice chat capacity uh, and uh, live chat capacity, and so on. But the uh, blog is back as well. You go to freedomain.com, and I also put a list of uh, interviews on the homepage and so on. And um, so what you want to do is go to my blog and do a search for self-defense. I've got entire articles on that. So thoughts on Naomi Saped? Saped? Uh, very, uh, very brave woman. How did you avoid what happened to Jordan Peterson? <laughs> That's a very, very good question. It's a very, very good question. So, look, that's that's complicated. That's very complicated. I have it a little bit easier than he did because... So, first of all, I obviously have fewer credentials. And Jordan Peterson being a obviously well-titled Dr. Jordan Peterson, professor for decades of, of psychology and the Harvard alumni and all of that. I mean, the guy is impeccably credentialed. And, you know, I have a graduate degree, a master's degree in the history of philosophy, but, you know, I'm not, you know, Dr. Molyneux. It's not, not Dr. Molyneux, right? That's my father. My father is Dr. Molyneux. He's got a, a PhD, but not me. And so the fact is that I very consciously decided to push the envelope so far that the mainstream media was not going to be tempted to have me on, <laughs> right? I mean, because if you kind of go to that, I, I don't like, if you're going to stay out of a conflict, stay out of a conflict. If you're going to go in, go in all the way. And this is no disrespect to Jordan Peterson. I mean, a man is brilliant and, and extraordinarily courageous and dealt with more than I would think of. And so, but I would just say, I was very consciously aware that if I towed the middle line, then I'm eloquent and reasonably attractive enough to make a presence on mainstream television, but that just raises your profile so high that the decapitation merchants come out in hussar-like hordes. And so I decided to just speak the truth and shame the devil. And I went into all of the you know, race and IQ stuff and, and um, uh, voluntary family stuff and uh, separating from abusive parents stuff. And you could, see, you could see this tracking out in real time. So you could see this when I started to go into more controversial topics. You could see um, uh, the outlets just falling away, like people that I used to go on that, that won't have me back on because I went to particular topics and areas or, or the way, the only way they could have me back on, which is sort of the Dave Rubin and, and Joe Rogan style, the only way they could have me back on was to just hammer at me relentlessly so they could say, well, I, I had him on, but look at how I hammered at him and all that, right? But, you know, we couldn't have me, not Dave Smith, to his eternal credit, you know, we'll come back and, and we'll have positive chats and, and Duke Pesta and uh, Sticks, Hex and Hammer and, and uh, other people. I'm going to have a chat with Bill Whittle and all of that. Just, you know, great, great people who are like, yeah, I, don't, I know who you are. You're a good guy and all that. So what do I care about all of this reputational stuff? And so I took on topics that were such hot potatoes that the mainstream media didn't it's like unforgivable quote to give me a platform in that situation. And so uh, he, he was, um, and he's, you know, he's open and available in a way that I just, I couldn't imagine. Like he, in this documentary, it blows my mind. It really does. It blows my mind. And like, 
this is people, I mean, I respect them, not decisions that I would make. It's not right or wrong, but, you know, people like uh, Mike Cernovich just had people in his house, like people in his house filming him for like day after day at what he's doing and filming him in his interactions. I mean, Jordan Peterson, they're all sitting around the din- dinner table or the family table in the kitchen uh, doing psychological tests and all that. And I don't know, like just the idea that I would lead people around my house. I mean, <laughs> I just, I can't, I can't picture it. Like I just, uh, you know. Maybe it's a good thing to do. I don't know. But uh, you got to have some boundaries, right? you got to have some boundaries. To me, I'm in a sweet spot. Like, I don't want to get any more famous. Are you kidding me? I think I'm big enough to make a real impact. Like, I just got an email this morning from a guy. And you can see on my blog all the testimonials I put together. I had an email this morning from a guy who said, listen, my he's a soldier. And he said, listen, ex-soldier, friend of my ex-military guy, you called me up wanted to eat a bullet. I talked about stuff. I sent him to your videos. He consumed your material. He's back. He's happy. He's alive. And you saved his life, he says to me. And that's a very, I mean, it's a very kind thing. And look, other people have had that too. I'm not obviously trying to say I'm the only one. But having this kind of impact and this kind of effect is great. And um, I think bigger is uh, not necessarily better. Because again, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. Like I'm here I'm here for as long as you want me to be here. And, you know, if you want to help me out, freedomain.com slash donate, freedomain.com slash donate. But I'm here for the duration. And I'm going to ride this uh, all the way to the end. Hopefully it's uphill. And if it's downhill, I'm riding it all the way to the end too. Uh, I'm, you know, so many people have invested a lot of uh, effort and, and resources and support into me. And I take that enormously seriously. And I'm here for the duration. I'm not going to pull an Icarus, you know, fly so high, the sun melts the wax holding your wings to your back and you plunge into the sea. And, uh, you know, he, he, he could have reached out any time and asked me, you know, off the record, he could have said, man, you've been doing this a lot longer than me. Uh, and, and I'm way bigger than you, which he was and, and probably always will be. How could you do it? And uh, I, I would have I would have given him some some advice like, you know, take a break, pull back. It's your personal relationships that matter. Uh, stay offline sometimes and uh, you don't owe everyone who wants to talk to you the opportunity to talk to you. I mean, listen, I can't even tell you how many requests I get. Uh, and I just very, very – I would rather talk to you guys. I mean, who, who who's going who's gonna to be more fun than you guys? So, ah, Let's see here. What happened to your libertarian principles? <laughs> I feel that's a leading question. And um, what uh, what can I say? Um, I, I You tell me which libertarian principles uh, you feel that I've abandoned, and I can be a little bit more specific about that. One is a 38-year-old virgin. Holy crap. Have her call me. It's not too late. Laptops at school are making men and women sterile. Well, the testosterone fall is pretty bad in society for sure. Miss Tammy says, I'm pregnant now, fifth year in a row. Holy conveyor belt, Batman. <laughs> Good for you. How do I keep motivated to study while in a bad environment with people I don't like, says Eduardo. Well, the answer to that is uh, you got to get yourself to a library. Um, you got to get yourself to a quiet place. You got to carve your own space. It could be a local coffee shop. I could milk an Americano when I was writing novels for like two and a half hours straight because I couldn't afford lattes. So... Um, just you've got to just get away from the disruptive people and focus on the knowledge you've got to gain. All right. 
It's okay to be white. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. Uh, no, uh, force others to follow the NAP. Go read the stuff. I've, you know, the reason I wrote all these books was I was tired of answering these questions. So, you should shave your whole head. It would look nice on you. I mean, does it really matter? I mean, look at this. It's barely a shadow on the on the back anyway, right? Um, yeah, I don't know the Andrew Claven thing. First of all, that reminds me of cancer treatments, which is not super fun for me. I don't want to see that in the mirror. Uh, and you know, it's just work. You know, I got to tell you, like. I mean, I, I focus so much on being available for shows that that's one of the reasons I don't shave. It's one of the reasons I don't shave my head. It's one of the reasons I don't put makeup on. It's one of the reasons why, you know, I just, I just want to be able to sit down and do a show. So uh, who do you think is orchestrating this socialism and why? <clears throat> well, um, the, the, the socialists, they've been around for, for quite a long time and, and they are orchestrating it because... Um, because they can't compete, right? Or they don't feel they can compete. And they've swallowed the lie that inequality in economics means inequality in human beings or human rights. You know, someone's got to win the, win the karaoke contest. It doesn't make them unequal in the eyes of the law. It doesn't make them a better or worse human being. It just makes them a better singer. And, you know, these forks in the road, it's funny, you know, I was just thinking about this today. I can sort of jam this in here like a virgin on his first try and when i was oh gosh maybe 12 maybe 12 someone was telling me i was with a, a group of friends and one of them was saying well you know coke sells its cokes for a quarter but there's only two and a half cents of ingredient cost in that <laughs> right so you hear that and it immediately draws you down this pattern of thinking, right? That, oh my gosh, are you telling me they're making 90% profit? You know, they're making, you know, if it's two and a half cents, they're making 22 and a half cents profit. Why is it so expensive? It should only be three cents and they're still making good profit, right? So then, of course, and I don't even remember this guy's name, but may have saved my life and saved a lot more than my life if, if uh, I have the kind of effect that I want, then... He said, well, yeah, but, I mean, come on. There's labor costs. There's tax costs. There's heating the factory costs. There's building the factory costs. There's, you know, health care costs for the workers. There's retirement plans. There's, you know, and he just went on. I can't remember. It was, like, not a huge list. Like, I don't know, five things or whatever. And I'm like, ah. Oh. And it was like, pull back from the hole. Pull back from the hole, right? Right, so I was talking about Jewish involvement with communism a little while ago on Twitter. Diana West was tweeting about all of the non-Jewish communist thinkers, and of course, I've tweeted myself about all of the Jewish anti-communist thinkers and so on. It's like, yeah, it's important to get this balance and not just go down one rabbit hole of confirmation bias. So, if you don't, I, was, I don't know, like, what would have happened to me if I'd never heard that other guy? I mean, obviously, I would have come up with the arguments, but maybe they would have hardened in my head already to the point where I would have rejected that information. Thoughts on coronavirus in Canada? Should we be worried about it? Uh, yeah, you should be worried about it because nobody knows yet. This damn thing has an incubation time sometimes in the weeks, according to some of the studies that I've read. So we'll know in a month or two what's going down. But right now, yeah, stay away from groups, stay away from crowds. So wash your hands repeatedly. I'm sorry. I have this weird thing when the camera's on me, my nose gets itchy. It's just this weird thing. It's been ever since I've had cameras. I don't know, some psychological thing I haven't had time to sort out yet, but... It's weird, like I don't have an itchy nose. I turn the camera on, 
my nose gets itchy. And so I'm like, <laughs> like a dog with a flea. Oh, maybe it is fleas. No, probably not. What would happen to poor people in an anarchist society? Well, you care about them, so you would help them. Stefan's head is just titillating. <laughs> Man boob. Mind boob. All right. Talk to Sargon again. I like Sargon. Yeah, I would talk to him again. I would talk to He did a nice video post uh, debate I had with Vosh. Vosh, you should check out that debate as well. I put a really nice cleaned up audio version on the podcast feed. And there's a video version with Mr. Man Bun and me. Uh, that's uh, fdrurl.com forward slash V-A-U-S-H. Thoughts on Paul Joseph Watson? Would you have him on your show? I, I have had him on my show. I, I like Paul. I think there's a lot he doesn't talk about. And uh, I think that he should settle down and have some kids. But anyway, <laughs> that's just my particular opinion. Okay, I just got another couple of minutes because I have a um, I have a call just in a couple of minutes with a guy whose uh, girlfriend is pregnant with another man's wife. All right. Will identity politics ever die? Oh, yeah, because it's unsustainable. It's unsustainable. Um, Tommy Robinson, didn't he just get arrested for trying to protect his daughter from a child molester? <sighs> Yikes. Uh, you did a video once about how rights don't really exist. Can you explain that argument again? Well, it's actually one of my first videos was understanding concepts. So concepts don't exist in the real world. Numbers as abstractions don't exist in the real world. All that's abstract that's in your mind. Like if I said, I'm going to pay my bill with the concept of money, you'd be like, no, thanks, <laughs> right? And so concepts don't exist in the real world. It doesn't mean they're subjective or arbitrary. I mean, gravity as a concept doesn't exist in the world. That doesn't mean that gravity doesn't exist. But the descriptors don't exist in the way that the things they do. That like you've got trees that are all clustered around a particular geographical area, those trees all exist. The bushes all exist. The geographical area has a certain boundary to it. But the forest as a concept doesn't exist. Right? That's just our descriptor for tightly grouped clusters of trees in a particular geographical area. Thoughts on the mob going after Michelle Malkin. Michelle Malkin is a freaking Valkyrie and stands head and shoulders above conservative ink when it comes to talking about difficult issues. She is heroic uh, and she is um, courageous. And you, you just, I mean, there's really nothing uh, too good that I could say about Michelle Malkin. You should watch her speeches. You should read her books. You should follow her on Twitter. And you should, uh, you know, worship the ground uh, that uh, she leaves wet footprints on. So, yes. All right. Let's see here. How does a woman still single in her 50s find and attract a good husband? Develop qualities of character and don't settle for second best, I suppose. But you're going to have to pick up from people who either never got married themselves or who have complicated family lives, blah, 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 right? How has the media shifted since the late 1960s? Well, watched Hoaxed Movie. It's coming out in a couple of days on iTunes. Hoaxedmovie.com is a really great detail about all of that. So, Would you have Steve Franson on? Oh, I think, I think yeah, he had some talks, uh, some conversations with me, that video I did last year, My Brutal Year. Boy, you know, it's funny how sometimes in life you say, wow, I've got a lot of problems. And then six months later or three months later, you say, man, I wish I had only, only had the problems I had back then. That was before things got even worse. Uh, we can set up culture, thug freedom versus fascism. I know how to set it up. I already debated that guy, so I don't really know why I would do it again. All right. Um, yeah, sorry. I better, better go. I did already say his name. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, thanks everyone so much for dropping by. 
Yes, um, I, I still do my call-in show. Just send me an email, but it's it's kind of tough. Uh, life is is pretty busy at the moment, so um, I will have I would have Jay Dyer back on. Sure, uh, I have a couple of shows coming up. They're already available. Subscribestar.com forward slash free domain. I don't mean to be Mister Pitchy Guy, but uh, I do put a lot of shows up there where they're in a holding pattern to go out on the main. I have like so many shows that I've never released that are really great, and I have uh, an introduction to the Communist Manifesto. Uh, which I did with my daughter, uh, which is available. Subscribestar.com forward slash free domain. Uh, it's like it's like 10 cents a day, like three bucks a month, man. You can go in there and you can get a whole bunch of that stuff. So uh, if you are looking for extra material, uh, please, please do that. So yeah, thanks everyone uh, for a great, great evening. So enjoyable to chat with you guys. I really love you guys. And I hugely, massively and deeply appreciate the opportunity to talk about um, all of these wonderfully deep and powerful issues with your support and your generosity, freedomain.com forward slash domain. And please do check out the free domain Discord. So when you sign up at Subscribestar, there'll be a Discord link. You can go in there. You can chat with other listeners. We have great conversations. It's generally open on my desktop while I'm working. I'll keep half an eye on it. So it's a great way to get in touch with me. And of course, I will check as I do. I check in the morning uh, and in the afternoon, um, I, you can send me a message through Subscribestar, um, and that's where I will check first. So it's a great way to do it. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much. Love you guys. Have a super, super evening. I'm going to try and get a graceful release to this show, which I never do, because I never know when the heck it's going to end. But I'm going to trail off here. Um, what was it? I saw some comedian who was like, songs get to fade out. And that's the way that you end it if you don't know how to end the song. But you can't just fade out a joke. Okay, I'm just fading out the show. I'm almost here. Yeah.